0: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thank the Lord for His Word. Your Bibles this morning will be in the book of Deuteronomy again this morning. This is our fourth time in a row, in case you haven't been paying attention. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and if you've got a piece of paper, you could drop it in over to Proverbs chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Proverbs chapter 4. This being our fourth sermon in the series on godly parenting. Next week, Lord willing, I'd like to take A little bit of a chance to review back into those four with the goal of seeing how those principles then apply into the other horizontal relationships of our lives. Uh, As I've listened in life groups discussions, I've noticed that there's a theme that keeps coming up that these principles for godly parenting also take significance in the other relationships in your life how it is that you interact with your spouse, and how it is that you interact with your employer. And these principles will show up in those other areas. We've said over the last several weeks that it is our responsibility as parents, we can boil down the commands of God. Our responsibility is to teach our children two things. We teach them to know God and teach them to obey God. And everything else within the scriptures, everything else that has to do with what God wants us to do as parents, falls within these two. I'm gonna teach my children to know God. I'm gonna teach them about His purpose for their life. What is it that God created them for? I'm gonna teach them to know God by understanding grace. What is grace? The fact that it flows from the throne of heaven through the cross at Calvary into our lives, and then we teach that. And it is not just me turning a blind eye to their sin, but showing them their need for a Savior and helping them to understand what grace is in their lives. Then last week we saw that we need to teach them to obey God, and that happens primarily and foundationally in the fact that they need to learn how to obey you. So they Obey God by obeying you. Ephesians 6 and verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If your children are not obeying you, they are not obeying God. Their command from God is for them to obey you. And you need to establish your authority in their life. And I understand, and I hear this frequently from parents, there's a... There was this same fear in my own heart as I raised my children. The fear was, who am I? That I should have the right to demand obedience from another human being. And I'll tell you who you are as a parent. You are a deputy of God. That's what I mean by that. How many of you have ever watched an old western movie? In the old western movies, the sheriff is there. He's one man in town, and everything's gone upside down, and he needs some help. And he reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out a badge, and he hands it to someone, and he says, You are now a deputy. Here's a gun. Here's a badge. Help me establish order in this town. And in a way, that's what God has done for you as a parent. God has given you the authority. He's called you to do this for that child's good. God has placed the responsibility in the hands of every one of us as parents to raise our children, Ephesians 6, 4's words, raise them to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And God's placed this authority in your hands, and we are not to turn it away. Today, I'd like to focus on teaching our children to obey, and specifically teaching them to obey with the right heart. Teach them to obey with the right heart. You're there in Deuteronomy 6. Read with me verse 4, and I'll read down to verse 7. It was our scripture reading. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou, hearer, thou. "...shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up." And he continues this on into verses 8 and 9, the same thought. "...thou shalt bind them, upon, bind them for a sign upon thine hand, it shall be at frontlets before between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. It will be every part of your living. It will be on the forefront of your thoughts. It will be the power and the strength in your arm. It will be the goings and comings through your gate. It will be as you teach your children. It will not be in just a lecture setting as you say, sit down and listen to me tell you this. And it won't just be... Listen to this at church in Sunday school. It will be as you're living your life, as you walk by the way, or as we've said, 2024 version, as you ride together in the car, as you go from here to there, as you put them to bed at night, and as you raise them up in the morning, as you sit around the table and have your meal, this is the teachings. It's your children seeing you, and it should be done intentionally. Don't just allow this to be something that blows on, and if I get to it, I get to it. Be looking for those intentional moments to steer your children towards our Heavenly Father, and it needs to be consistent. Teach them diligently and consistently. Mom, your children are watching you. They're watching you. I think back in my pastoral ministry here in Port Moresby, one of my favorite moments with interaction with a mom, and I will not say who it is because I don't want to draw embarrassment, but I remember walking into Port Moresby General Hospital into the ward to visit one of our mothers, several children, and I remember walking in, she had no idea that I was coming at that time, she just knew I would come at some point. And when I got to her bed, her back was to me. She was rolled away, and she was laying there on the bed reading her Bible. I walked up on her, and she was surprised. I'm sorry, Pastor. And She closed her Bible. I thought to myself, what do you have to be sorry for? You're reading the Bible. <laughs> How much better can you be in the hospital? But here's what that told me. If she's reading her Bible while she's in the hospital... Most likely she's reading the Bible while she's at the house. And if I stumble upon her doing this, then her children have stumbled upon her doing this as well. Mom, your children are watching you. Dads, your children are watching you. I don't say this to elevate him, but I will say it very firmly. I am who I am today because I watched my dad. I remember as a young child, every morning we would get up. As I would walk from my bedroom to the bathroom, I would walk past the living room and I would look into the living room and every day, without fail, every day, my dad was there on his knees beside his chair praying. To this day, I know he carries a list of people that he's actively praying for. And I would watch that day after day. About 30 minutes later, all of us, four little boys, and you can just imagine how much trouble four little boys can get into every morning. And every morning, 30 minutes after we got up, it was time for us to have our family altar. And we would come together and we would sit in the living room and we would take turns reading. And we read through so many portions of the Bible. And we would take turns reading. It was his turn. He would read a verse. He would read a verse. I would read a verse. He would read a verse. He would read a verse. And it would go around in the circle. And you can imagine year after year of doing that. Your children are watching you. I remember distinctly one morning, I would go and do an odd job early hours of the morning, about four o'clock. I would go and do an odd job, and I did that for several years. Come back, and seven o'clock, we're sitting there. It's our time that we're supposed to do our family devotions. And I remember nodding off and falling asleep. And dad didn't yell at me for falling asleep. He would just say, son, we're having our devotions. You need to pay attention. And I remember one morning distinctly as I was very frustrated with the fact that we just do this every time. And I just need to wake up fast enough before the, my brother gets done so I can figure out which verse is mine. And I remember that morning pushing back against dad and saying something to the effect of, what, ma- what does this matter, dad? I sleep through it almost every morning, and I'll never forget what my dad said that morning. He said, son, God has called me to lead our family, and I will lead our family to our Heavenly Father, and you will join us. There's no no choices about it. It's been 30 years, and I can say I was wrong. He was right. Dads, your children are watching you we're called to lead our children intentionally and consistently and i might remind you that also they're watching those things that we might be doing unethical immoral i wonder dad do you bypass the meter so that you don't have to pay png power or do you quietly go and drink with your friends from your childhood who they seem to be stuck in their childhood while you've grown up and had your own children I might say this, what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. The things that you say, this is just a small sin, so I'll just do it small sins, they're watching you, Dad. And the things that you do in small, they'll take those and make them bigger. And so let us teach our children to obey God with the right heart. Slide your eyes with me down to verse 20. We've not looked at this verse yet. In this passage, verse 20. When thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? The day will come. That's what he says. The day will come, dads, moms. The days will come when your children will ask you, What does this even mean? And if you've raised children from the time they were little and they don't really remember a before we went to church time, as they grow up coming to church, the day will come when they will question, why is it we go, we always do the same thing. We sing, we pray, we listen to that white guy preach, and let's, we just go home. We do the same thing week after week after week. And the day will come when you get an opportunity to speak. Keep training. Here's verse 21. Then thou shalt say unto thy son, and I want you to listen to the words of the Israelites and think of the applications for our own lives. We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. There was a time when I was enslaved to sin, son. We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in. He took us out of slavery so that we might be set free in his grace to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. God calls us to follow him and it's for our good that He might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. So the day will come when your children will ask, why is it that we do these things? And if you've been intentional and you've been consistent, you've got something to point at. You say, son, we do this because of how great our God is. As I look at raising children, I know that our problem consistently is the same. We want to fix their behavior. Their behavior is what frustrates us. We want to change their behavior. As I said last week, he won't stop beating on the pots and the pans. He screams at his sister. He hits his brother. He refuses to eat his kumu. He wants to establish his own authority, and it's a constant battle. Before I go further, can I encourage you, moms and dads, continue to be intentional, continue to be consistent. But I also want to encourage you this morning that that work that you're doing is not entirely about his behavior, it's about his heart. I said last week in that moment as he's beating the pots and pans and he won't stop, that is his most important moment of the day. And it's the most important moment for you, if at all possible, to set aside the things that you're doing and engage him at his heart level. Something needs to change in his heart. Uh, I've got a quote here from Paul Tripp that I hope would be helpful. Paul says this, as a parent, you are never, ever dealing with just the words and actions of your children. You are always, always, always also dealing with the thing that controls their words and behavior, the heart. Or here it is coming from the book of Luke, chapter 6 and verse 44. This is Jesus said it. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So there's things that are going on inside of your child's heart that don't, you don't get to see and you don't get to know until he brings that out on the outside. And those actions and those behaviors and the things that he says expose what's going on in his heart. And our task as parents is to help them shape their heart. I asked you to put a piece of paper into Proverbs 4. If you'll look over to Proverbs 4 with me, uh, Proverbs chapter 4 speaks directly to this, and we'll see it addressed further. Remember that this moment, as you see an issue with behavior that actually is an issue of the heart, remember that this is God exposing a moment of sanctification for your child. It's also most likely a moment of sanctification for you as the parent. As you get to see, what is it that makes me angry? And I need to be transformed to the, image of our, uh, conformed to the image of God's Son. And this moment is a moment that you get as a gift from God as your child exposes. These are the wicked intentions of my heart. He may not say those words, but as that heart is exposed, this is God's grace in his life because that behavior is a display of his heart. Look at Proverbs 4 and verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Another way to say that is there's a fountain that's coming from your heart, and from that fountain are the springs of your life. The things that come out in your life, they come from your heart. The heart is... pigeon by me, talk with uh, him. Heart, I me. Mean, headwater blowing, all got to something to life Blue, you. It's where everything comes from. It's the flowing out. It comes from your heart. And he continues to show the different areas of life. So many times we'll take a verse like this and just go, okay, here, look at this. But then look at the verses that follow it. Look at verse 24. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from you. Your mouth is a part of your life, and the words that come out of your mouth, those words didn't start at your tongue. They started at your heart, and from your heart is all of the fountain, the issues of your life are coming out from your heart, and it's coming out of your mouth. So put away that type of lifestyle, the Wicked words and the evil ways with which you would speak. And he continues on in verse 25. Let thine eyes look right on and thine eyelids look straight before you, because your eyes are a part of your life. And why is it that you continually want to look after that which is wicked? Because your heart is not right. Verse 26. Ponder the path of thy feet. Let thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Your feet are a part of your life, and the flowing out in your life of, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, has everything to do with what's going on in your heart. He continues it on in chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, My son, attend unto my wisdom. Bow your ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, that thy lips may keep knowledge pay attention to wisdom, gain knowledge, have understanding, regard discretion, because your heart needs to be guarded, son. Guard your heart. The heart cannot be be trusted. The heart is so very important, and yet it cannot be trusted. Think with me to the words of Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You hear that phrase? Desperately wicked. If you've ever heard the phrase, I was born right but educated wrong, that's not what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said you were born wrong. Your heart is naturally inclined towards evil. Nobody has to teach a child to sin. The child is born a sinner. And that comes from the issues of life, come from his heart. And the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. And how many times do you find yourself in a position where you go, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And you stop and you step back and think to yourself, why would I ever do this? That's so wrong. You know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, doing a change in your life. You're going, I, why would I even consider this option? Why? Because the heart is deceitful. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 3, the heart of the sons of man is full of evil. Solomon says it, Proverbs 3 and verses 1 and 2, and if you ever want a great chapter to study, it would be Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. I don't know if you're hearing these words in verse 1. Let your heart keep my commandments. And what I see Solomon tying together here is obedience and the heart. So we need to teach our children to obey God with a right heart. The heart is so very important. You realize that you can force behavior. You can force it. Son you will sit down. And if he doesn't, you can use the rod and you can force him to sit down. And yet, he sits without the right heart and the moment will come when you turn your back or you walk away or something comes up and he's right back up. And if we can take that little application for him when he's small, think of where it goes when he's grown. And You can force obedience and you can force him to follow while he's living in your house but the moment he leaves your house or the moment you're no longer attached to him this heart has been long way from god and now he'll run and so our goal as parents and friend I'll be honest this morning this is not an easy task our goal is to gain their heart and steer their heart towards our heavenly father And I'll be honest this morning that that change, the change that is needed in the heart, only comes from the gospel. The gospel is what transforms our lives. And if you're not familiar with the gospel, I'll run through it real quickly with you because it's so important. The gospel is simply this. I am born a sinner and my sin separates me from a holy God, and His wrath abides upon me. Can you just think about that for just a minute? The wrath of an almighty, all-powerful God being upon me because of my sin? And some men would say, but He'll give you a free pass. No, He won't. What kind of a judge just says, oh, I see that you did wrong, I let you go? That doesn't work. Your sin must be paid for. In order for you to be right with God, your sin must be paid for. But that's where the beauty of the Gospel comes in. I'm separated from God in my sin, and instead of Him unleashing His wrath upon me, He unleashed His wrath upon Jesus on the cross. His Son, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He, God, has made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So here's the Gospel. God took His wrath and placed it on Jesus instead of placing it on me. That's the beauty of the Gospel. And that changes my life so what do I do to get that? How do I get that everlasting life? I get it by putting my trust in Jesus. I trust Jesus, and then He gives me His righteousness. And when God gives me His righteousness, I get to be right with Him. That's the gospel, literally meaning good news. The Gospel is what transforms lives. It it transforms your eternity. You get eternal life when you put your trust in Jesus. And by the way, eternal life doesn't have to start when you die. Some people think I get eternal life, that means I get to go float around in heaven with a harp, or maybe if you're a little bit more theologically correct, I get to spend forever with God on streets of gold. That's not what he means by eternal life. Eternal life begins the moment you trust in Jesus. It's much better life. So before I put my trust in Jesus, I was enslaved to my sin. Sin would come along and I can't get away from it. But now that I've put my trust in Jesus, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So now I live in Christ. And he has set me free from the bondage that comes from sin. That's eternal life. So I don't have to wait to die before I get it. I get it now. And so this is the gospel, and it is how lives are transformed, how children's lives are transformed. They don't have to wait until they grow up to understand these things. You see, the Holy Spirit makes a change in their lives. And so we as parents should be steering them towards this, We want them to obey God with the right heart. I've heard it said that parenting is one long conversation. It's one long conversation. We want it to be, I told you to do this, and you do it right for the rest of your life. And that's not what happens. It's this ongoing conversation of me intentionally talking to my children about the goodness of God in my life and how God will be good in their life and how God has sent Jesus to take my sin and how God has sent Jesus to take their sin. And it's a continual, ongoing conversation. I remember when Ariel was only about three months old. And I remember coming home from work early in the morning. I was working night shift at that time. I came home. Becky was very tired from having taken care of the baby through the night. I remember I'm in my work uniform still, and I got baby Ariel, and I took her for a walk that early morning. And I'm just holding her. You can just imagine, three months old, doesn't have a clue about much. I remember holding her and walking around outside. The temperature had already gone cold, and all that was left was a few roses And just the last petals of the roses was all that was left. All the other things, the leaves had fallen off. And I remember walking out in amongst the roses and carrying Ariel, three months old. Of course, she doesn't remember this. I remember carrying her in my arm like this and walking over to the rose and saying, this here, sweetie, this is a rose. Probably had never heard that word before. And I picked a couple of the petals and I brought them up and held them next to her and let her feel them with her fingers, little fingers. I put it up next to her nose. I said, this here is a rose and it's beautiful. God made the rose. Why do I remember that? I have no idea. She doesn't remember it. But I know what I was doing. I was beginning that conversation that would last for a long time. And as she grew up, we continued to have conversations with her and with her sister. And I remember... The years that I flew here in PNG, I was gifted by God's grace with the ability to fly over 2,000 flights here in PNG over a s- space of 10 years, flying a Cessna 206 out in the Gulf Province. And during those years, I was very aware of the fact that the life expectancy of pilots in Papua New Guinea is not exactly great. I'd written letters to both my girls. I'd folded them up and hid them in my desk in the unlikely event that I didn't get to come home. I didn't want the conversation to end with my funeral. The thing I wanted my daughters to know is your dad loves Jesus, and I want you to love Jesus. And we continue to have that conversation with our girls. Ariel's 24 years old. She'll be 24 this year. She's married I'm looking forward to having grandchildren, but the conversation does not end. Brothers and sisters, continue to have that conversation intentionally with your children. Raise them up to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What comes from having a right heart, I'll tell you what comes from having a right heart, the fruit of the Spirit. Don't think of the fruit of the Spirit as the So many times I hear it called the fruits of the spirit. You're not a tree that has nine different fruits coming off of it. There's a singular fruit that comes out of your life. If you're seeking behavior modification, if you're seeking to change the way they act, that's similar to sticky taping fruit on a tree, which is foolish. You don't go to a tree that's bearing bad fruit, pull all the bad fruit off, and then go down to Waterfront, purchase a whole bunch of good-looking fruit from the import section, bring it back over and sticky tape it on the tree and say, hey, look, great tree I've got. That's stupid. It doesn't work that way. What you need is a heart change that produces new fruit. And so... Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 tells us, "...walk after the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but instead you will produce the fruit of the Spirit." And that fruit, he lists it out, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, Gentleness and goodness, faith, meekness and temperance, the fruit, it's all one fruit. You don't look at it and you say, well, I've got my love, check, and I got my joy, check, and I got my gentleness, check, but that meekness, I'm still working on this. No, this is a fruit that comes as a result of having a heart right with God. And I want to have that for myself, and I want to have that for my children. And my children need to have it. And if there's a lack of it, as you look at your children, they're lacking this fruit. Okay, it's time to come back and work on the heart. Parents, remember that that heart change takes time. There's a phrase that I read from Ray Ortland that I think is helpful, and I'm going to take it and adapt it just a little bit. Here's here's Ray Ortland's phrase. He says this, This is the first time I've ever presented this to our church. Gospel plus safety plus time equals a church where anyone can grow. Gospel plus safety plus time is a church where anyone can grow. I love that phrase because the gospel is what transforms our life. And safety is the ability for us to say to one another, it doesn't matter what it is that sin that keeps on besetting you. The safety is we'll walk through this together and we can help one another and encourage one another. And then time is the reminder that things don't change overnight that sometimes that change takes time. Remember what I said, raising your children is one very long conversation. So if I were to take this and adapt it for our setting, we change that just a little bit. Gospel plus safety plus time equals a family where godly children can grow. The very same principle. The Gospel is the thing that transforms our life, and if I can point my children to the Gospel, and then within the safety of my home, As we said at the very beginning, opening sermon about grace, if the police come and knock on the door to arrest your son, safety is the moment when you say to your son, I'll walk through this with you, and it doesn't matter how many times I've got to visit the prison or how many times we've got to go to court together, I'm doing this with you. Safety and time is knowing that this long conversation is not over yet and may we take this principle and apply it. And so often I hear excuses for why I can't work with my children, why I don't have the ability to work in their heart. And I'll walk through a couple of those excuses and I'd love to push back on them this morning. The first excuse that I hear is I don't have time. I don't have time. I'll be honest, heart work is time consuming. And so often I hear parents say, I don't have time. Uh, If I can say it again, if Junior is being disobedient, that is the single most important moment for his day. I was about eight years old, and we went to the supermarket. My brothers and I, we went with my mom. Uh, Dad was working, and so mom took all of us to the supermarket. We must have just gotten out of school, I don't remember. Um, But I just do remember that we were all in the supermarket. Mom, Mom had a rule when we were in the supermarket. The rule was... Every single, when you have four boys and you take them to the supermarket, friend, pity every mother that has to go through this, okay? But she had a rule for our family, the four boys, all four of us, one hand has to stay on the shopping cart. The shopping trolley must be held by one hand. And then there was a secondary rule, thy other hand shall not touch anything on the shelves. And so we had to work our way through, and this, I mean, listen, listen. I was 14 years old going to the shopping s- supermarket with my mom, holding the trolley, walking through. <laughs> she trained us well, right? I remember being about eight, and so that would have been eight, six, four, two. I don't remember if two was in the shopping trolley or if he was learning how to hold it and walk. I, but I'm about eight years old, and I remember we, we were playing this game. And mom, you know how mom does when she's, she's shopping, she's divided attention, she's got her list of the things she needs, she's getting it off the shelf, and she's looking back over, make sure that the boys haven't started a fire yet, and, and then back over here and get whatever it is, and she's divided her attention, right? We knew that, we knew that, and, and so we started this game where we would uh, hold on while she's looking, and we're watching, and watching, and watching, as soon as she stops looking at us, and she looks over to the shelf, it's let go, that's the beginning stages, next level, two steps. And make it back before she turns back again. This was a game we played. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Thou shalt not do as thy pastor, I promise you. (laughs) And so here's this game that we were playing. And of course... We were doing great at this game, it's two steps, it's three steps, look at us, we've mastered this game, and then it went to pushing and shoving. And I will never forget the moment as my mom turns around and caught me, uh, Ben and I, David was always good, he, he never sinned, he's about as close to Jesus as it gets, but Ben and I, <laughs> we were good at this, uh, we, would, we, we would fight, you've ever heard the phrase, fight at the drop of a hat? We'd throw the hat down. We were like, Here's a hat. I just threw it. It, it hit the ground. We're going to fight right now. And so Ben and I, we were always looking for ways. And of course, two steps led to three steps. And we're already living in disobedience. Mom doesn't know it yet. And the next thing you know, the two of us have gone to, we're fighting right there in the, in, in the aisle. And it's, of course, we're not yelling. We don't want to draw attention, but it's, you know, pinching and punching and pulling and I got your hair and it, all of this thing back and forth. And I remember mom turning around and looking at me. And I knew it's about to come. And she said to me, Son, we're in a place right now where I cannot handle this publicly. But I promise you, when we get to the house, we will take care of this. I knew 100% what that meant. There was no doubt in my mind the rod of correction was about to be applied when we got to the house. Now, from that moment until we got home, I did everything within my power to be the most perfect specimen of a child. <laughs> I also tried to deflect attention. Things like, hey mom, did you notice that David's hair's not combed? Hey mom, did you notice that Nathan, he's... He, 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 I don't know what he's doing, but it's probably be bad. <laughs> All of the things I'm trying to divert attention, and moms and dads, you know that it's just a game they're playing, but I'm so thankful to tell you that when we got home, mom remembered <laughs> and addressed the issue. And I'll say it again, it needs to be consistent, it needs to be intentional, and you need to take the time to do it. Another excuse I hear quite often is, we live in a, and I'm going to leave, fill in the blank setting. We live in a fill-in-the-blank setting. And, and the reason I say fill-in-the-blank is because I hear all kinds of different excuses. We live in a village setting, or we live in a settlement setting, or, or we live in a Papua New Guinean setting, or man, you may so rubbish him name, bro, Papua New Guinea, left, right, and center. Yeah. You know, wrong bro, Papua New Guinea, now you may stop. <laughs> we, we, we give... All kinds of excuses. I live in a, and and here I'll take one that's quite popular, I live within a village setting as if that's some kind of a new thing within history. You realize people have been living in village settings for a very long time, right? And God's been commanding parents to teach their children for a very long time. This is not a new thing for us to be in a village setting. God has been commanding for us to raise up our children to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Certainly, yes, some people might have it easier to do because they're in a different type of setting. But just because you're in the setting that you're in, you don't get a free pass from the Lord on the commandments that he's given you. Think with me. The ancient Jewish people were also multi-generational. They had at least three generations in their homes. That was the way they lived. And if you go to Middle East today, you'll notice that their houses are one right on top of another house. When the wind blows, you can know exactly what's going on in your neighbor's house. That's the way it is there. That's the people that he's writing to. And the issues that come across to us are the same issues that they had in their day. And so be careful about putting it across as, oh, I, don't, I can't do it. Think with me as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. All of the wicked things that were going on in the city of Corinth. No less than three times Paul had to remind the people, the Christian people of Corinth. He had to remind them in the first book of Corinthians. He had to remind them at least three times that immorality was sin. And they learned the lesson, and we know that because the time they come to Second Corinthians, he commends them on the way they're living. So there they are within a setting of wicked people, and they chose to do right. And by the way, you and I can do the same. And I know that some people would say things like, I'm afraid that if I'm strict, that I'm afraid that he, my child will despise me. I'd rather have my child call me, be, call me a strict parent than the day come when I have to cry over having lost his heart. Third excuse I hear often, well, I did not grow up that way. I want to remind you that all of the Christians of the New Testament were first-generation Christians. All of them. Every single one, Paul goes to Corinth, he goes to Athens, he goes to Ephesus, he goes to Thessalonica, goes into the province of the Galatians. Every single one of them was first-generation Christians. None of them had had it modeled well for them before them. And yet it is possible for us as first-generation or second-generation Christians, it is very possible for us to take the commands of God and apply them for our lives. Teach your children to obey God with the right heart. Let me spend the rest of our time with some practical tips. First one, get involved in your child's life. Get involved in your child's life. I mentioned a few weeks ago the difficulty of doing this if you are fly in, fly out. And my heart goes out to many of the people that are even within our congregation, who have to live with fly-in, fly-out on your fly-out portions, could I encourage you, make sure that you're spending time, make use of the modern technology, face time with your child, spend time with them. It's important to maintain that connection. Don't disconnect and go to a different life. When you're there with them, be present. When Becky and I lived in Kodidanga for 11 years, it was village life. Village life was very different from the city life. We had the ability to allow the children to run and play, and they spend time with their friends, go run down and swim in the river, go to the market, have a good time. We would ask the girls to have their friends come and stay at our house. We had a trampoline in the backyard. Becky had rules, three minutes only, two at a time. And oh, how many times they would tell on each other, that one's been on for three minutes and 12 seconds. They have three on now. It was just a constant echo through the house. Having friends over, uh, we did a thing with the girls. If they did their chores all week long, and Becky would outline their chores. You do this one, feed the dog, spend your 10 minutes with the animals every day. All of those chores were in place. If they had done their chores all week long, on Saturday evening, We had a Nintendo Wii at the house. We're out in the village. There's no power. We solar wasn't even a thing back then. Generator, and we had to fly petrol in. And we did something special with the girls every Saturday night. If they've done their chores all week long, on Saturday evening, we'd run the generator for 30 minutes so we could play Nintendo Wii for 30 minutes on Saturday night. What are we doing? It's not about give the kids the video game, it's about spend the time together with them, celebrate these moments together. When we moved here to Port Moresby, I had my wife to commend for this. Becky was very intentional in making sure that she did things with both of the girls. Some of you may already know this, Ariel loved to swim. And so Becky uh, would take her every morning, they would drive across town to the Tarama Aquatic Center. They'd leave here five o'clock in the morning, go across, Becky, uh, sorry. Ariel wanted to be competitive swimmer. And so we got her a coach, and the coach would walk up and down the side of the swimming pool while Ariel swam the laps, and the next lane over was Becky swimming her laps. They would spend the time in the car on the way together, and they would spend the time on the, in the car on the way back. I hesitate to even take a stab at how many hundreds of hours they spent together in the vehicle just going to the pool and coming back. Then H- Hannah, Hannah loved the stage and became a part at the Moresby Arts Theater. She has not lost that love for the stage, if you know Hannah. She loves to be up on the stage. And Becky would intentionally go with her. It was not take her and drop her off. If you're a part of the Moresby Arts Theater, forgive me for what I'm about to say. Take it or leave it, I don't care. <laughs> Becky, however was engaged because her daughter was engaged and she would spend the time there. She was not going to drop her daughter off and just leave her to go and do things with other people. She was there going to make sure that what's going on is going to be godly influence for her daughter's life. Be involved in your children's lives. Find out what it is they love and plug into it. Be a part of it. You'll build great memories, but also you'll get the opportunity to speak to them about their heart. Second, Carefully guard who they spend time with. Carefully guard who they spend time with. We're very careful with our children when they went out. We're very careful. I'll be honest, it kind of scares me when I hear of 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds going off to Vision City to spend a Saturday there alone. Makes me wonder who are they getting in with, who are they spending time around, a terrifying thought. Be careful about what they watch on TV or now, the internet, Netflix. Guard those things. We did this with our girls when when they were young. We would hear a movie or a TV show is uh, introduced, and we would have an interest to watch it. There would be times when we would sit and we'd begin to watch it, and then we'd find out, wait a second, this show is going in a direction that we don't want. Our children to be exposed. We would turn it off. And then we would have a discussion about why it is that we turned it off. The goal here is not to shelter them entirely. It wasn't jump up and turn it off before they get a chance to see it, because the day will come when they will see these wicked things. But instead, let's take this and use it as an opportunity to speak into their life so that they'll know why is it that we don't participate in that. Be careful about who comes into your home. And I know this is difficult with multi-generational homes, and there's uncles that bring friends that might make things very difficult for you. But if you are the head of the house, you are the one that's responsible for who comes into your house. Be very careful about who it is that has access to your children. And while I'm there, can I m- mention mobile devices? Because currently in the, this generation, mobile devices have access to our children in ways that nobody else in history has ever had access to children i'll just make a blanket statement and you can take this and make it legalistic if you want to or you can take it and just use it i don't think that a child under the age of 12 needs to have a cell phone if your child is under the age of 12 they should already be with someone who's responsible and so you don't need to be able to call them because I hope that you're not putting them on a bus to go across town by themselves. 12 to 16. A simple chocolate bar, one bang phone, without internet access. I'll share some thoughts with you here. About 20 years ago, our girls were little babies. And there was a, 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 pro, a program called Baby Einstein. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Baby Einstein was a program that was, it was a, uh, back then, VHS cassettes. You could buy them. VHS cassette, and it was classical music with pictures of flowers and shapes. And they actually promoted this. The company promoted that if you will put your child in front of the TV and play this that it will help them with their brain development. And we did it with our kids. And I will tell you, at 18 months old, you want to hush Ariel up, put her in front of baby Einstein and she would sit there and just watch the shapes and listen to the music. She loved it. Years later, is found out, it was a total scam. There was never any scientific studies done to establish it. And in fact, they've now debunked it and gone the opposite way. They said it actually slowed speech development because the child should not be sitting in front of a screen going, "Uh." instead, the child should be going, blah, 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 blah with mom. And when mom says, no, that's not how you say the word. This is how you say the word. The child needs that development. And yet, fast forward some 20 years, and what is it that you and I are so frequently doing nowadays? You know what we're doing? Child won't hush up, here, take my phone. And they've gotten to the point, the child has gotten to the point where he knows, if I can throw a fit big enough, mom will give me the mobile device. Come on, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And finally, you give in because there's nothing else you can do. You haven't gone after his heart. Mom, if you're trying to cut this one off, cut it off cold turkey. It's going to be some work, but it's going to be for his good. Your child does not need to have a social media account. Under 16 years old, a child does not need to have a social media account. I'll tell you why. Because their prefrontal cortex has not yet developed. The prefrontal cortex of the human brain is the part that has to do with emotion and decision making. And have you ever seen a 14 year old girl when she's so in love and then that boy breaks up with her and she's like almost at the point of ending her life? But then a week later, another boy comes along and she's right back up to so much in love. You know why that is? It's because her prefrontal cortex has not developed. She doesn't know how. Now, fast forward years later. Take a 30 year old. A 30 year old is a totally different story. If she's got a very close relationship to someone, she's not going to be over it in a week. That's why the brain development is so important. And yet, you'll take a social media account for a young lady, and she will, or a young man, he will spend hours talking to someone behind the safety of a screen, bearing things from their soul that should never be bore to another human being outside of marriage and continue to, this conversation to the point where now their souls are intertwined. And then, there was no reality to that relationship anyway. And is it any wonder that we have so many mental health issues in this generation? A child should not be, this is why I say, be careful who has access to your, cho- to your children. There's higher risks of obesity, poor posture, sleep disruption, depression, emotional instability, early exposure to inappropriate content. All of that's coming through mobile devices. And you might say, but my son is different. He, if he came across something that's inappropriate online, he would come and tell me. Pause. When you came across things that were inappropriate and you were a child, did you go run into mom and dad to tell them about it? We need to be thinking about this. Guard our children's hearts. Guard who it is that they have access to. Third one, look for the positives to speak about. We are so fast as parents because the negatives are the things that bug us. The negatives are the ones that we don't like and we want to get rid of. We want to change their behavior. And so I'd say, look for the positives. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, fathers, Provoke not your children to wrath. You know how you provoke your children to wrath? By constantly pointing out the negatives. There will come a point in your child's life when your child starts to do good things on purpose because he wants to please you. And the last thing he wants is to have to point out the good things to you so that you'll praise him. He doesn't want that. He wants you to see it on your own. I remember drawing pictures, this is about the third grade or so, I remember drawing pictures and spending so much time on drawing the picture and and hoping that my mom would notice it. I would draw it really nice and I'd take it and I'd show it to my mom and she would say, that's really nice. But I listened really close to how she said it because my brother who had just scribbled a couple of things on the paper, she said to him, that's really nice. Wait a second. Be watching for ways to speak positive into your child's life. Look for those positive heart changes. Son, I can see that God's been doing a work in your life, and I'm thankful for it. Daughter, God's been doing good things. I'm thankful for it. I'll close with Proverbs chapter 23. This is a passage that I have not used as yet. And each week I've come back to it in preparation. Solomon wrote this passage in Proverbs 23, and he wrote it after he had received great gifts from the Lord. I don't know if you remember this. Solomon was David's son. And Solomon was doing right at the beginning of his reign. God told him, I'll give you anything you want. And instead of asking for money and long life, and wisdom, instead of asking for money and long life, he asked for wisdom to lead the people. And God said, You asked for the right thing, so I'll give you the other things. Solomon was blessed in ways beyond what anyone else has, wisest man to ever live, perhaps richest man. He writes these words. And I believe he wrote these words during a time when he was doing right. And I say that because the Holy Spirit inspired these words. Here's what he writes. Proverbs 23, verse 24. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. And he that begets a wise son shall have joy of him. Pause. Young people, listen closely. Do you want your dad to be happy? Do you want your dad to have joy? Be a wise child. Be a righteous child. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he that begets a wise child will have joy of him. And then the next verse, verse 25. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she, shall, she that bear thee shall rejoice. Young people, do you want mom to be pleased? Do you want mom to rejoice? Well, do right. And then Solomon adds these words, verse 26. My son, give me thine heart. You know, every time, dad, mom, every time you pause to move beyond just behavior is wrong, to move into the, son, i got to get a hold of your heart. You know what you're doing? You're saying, son... Give me your heart. I want your heart, son. And then Solomon adds a phrase at the end of this. That if you know Solomon's life, is going to add so much depth. He finishes the phrase with, let thine eyes observe my ways. Son, give me your heart. Pay attention to how I do it, son. Your eyes watch me. Watch me. And if you're a godly parent this morning, you can say those words. Son, give me your heart. Watch me. Be ye, 1 Corinthians 11, one, be followers of Christ, even as I am a follower of Christ. Watch me. Now, if I can add some depth to this from Solomon's life. Solomon lived that first part of his reign in a godly manner, and he followed Our Heavenly Father, He did what He was supposed to. With great wisdom, people came from all around the world to come and listen to His wisdom. But as He aged, He began to walk away from the Lord. He took took unto Himself a thousand wives. You've got to have a lot of money to be able to do that. Took to Himself many wives. He multiplied to Himself horses. God had said, don't do that. He began to worship other gods. He built to himself palaces for other gods, and his heart turned away from God. And I have a feeling that his son had his eyes on his dad. Because if you know the story of what happens after Solomon's death, Rehoboam, his son, comes to power, and Rehoboam made it all about himself. And within what seems like the first year, the nation split. One king did not follow the way of his dad. And if you look at Israel's history, they always look back upon David, Solomon. That was the golden age. David, Solomon. Everything after that was split. And I think to myself, how different would that story have been if Solomon had done right to the end while his son was watching? Parents, we get one shot at this. So teach your children to obey God. Teach them to know God. Teach them to obey God. And teach them to obey God with the right heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you've bestowed upon our lives. I pray this morning that we would take our job seriously as parents. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. This is general life advice. And Lord, I know that there are some parents who have trained and worked and gone after heart. God, I pray for encouragement for them while they wait. Some may be waiting even now while the child is young. Some may be waiting while the child is grown. God, I pray for encouragement for their hearts while they wait. Lord, we pray for those who have gone astray. Lord, I pray that they would look back on what it is that they've learned from their parents. In the meantime, Lord, I pray for all of us. I pray that those of us that no longer have children in the home, but have an opportunity to influence grandchildren, I pray that we would point them to you so they would know God and obey God. And for those who are here today with children, Father, I pray that you would help them to be godly parents. Thank you for the grace you've bestowed upon our lives. Rich in your beautiful name, I ask these things. Amen.